0: Welcome to the Parasol Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USA football with myself and Keely Yore. Hello on Twitter, at Keely is my name. We got some breaking news to talk about the USA football players making their plea to the California state government, Governor Gavin Newsom. They want to play football. So we're going to talk about the letter that was sent, give you a little behind the scenes of what we've been hearing about that, how that came about, and if it will be effective. We're also talking about the Big Ten and as of the time we're recording this, they still have not announced that they're going to be coming back and, and trying to start mid to late October. That's where anticipating is going to happen. We'll see uh, if that does come to be. Uh, we're going to assume that it's going to be going forward, but who knows? It's a Big Ten, and it's been a, a crazy run over there. If you have any questions or comments for the show, we do appreciate it. We're going to keep them going during the uh, pandemic, during the quarantine, all that stuff, even if there's no football. We'll keep the shows rolling, podcast at USC Football com is the email address or if you'd like to call or text us you can do that too. 424-254-9141 is our number and you know share it with a friend that you know likes usc football tell them about the peristyle podcast or leave us a positive review uh five-star ratings are always encouraged especially on apple Podcasts. that certainly helps us to grow the show and you know what else helps, helps to grow the show having guests like keely you're on because she's really good at what she does keely how are you today
1: Ryan, right, thank you for that gracious intro. Doing well. Breaking news is always fun these days. I'm I'm get excited. Back in the the saddle of reporting is fun for me after a long break.
0: We yeah, we need little things uh to report on. And this is uh we, we weren't recording this because of the breaking news. We were recording it anyway, and it just so happened that uh we saw the breaking news. So I was like, Okay, so that's something we can uh Talk about, if I sound a little different, my apologies. I am not in studio. I am actually, uh, on the road. And so I'm at a friend's, uh, house right now. So it's, uh, kind of cavernous in here. So I don't know if it doesn't sound too bad, but it's a little different.
1: It's parasite podcast from a tunnel (laughs) this time.
0: It's like tunnel tunnel vision, vision. but not. (laughs) Yeah. It's tunnel vision, but not really because you're not seeing me. Um, but you know, it's, it is what it is, but we'll keep the, you know, we'll keep the show going. Um, and we got to talk about the uh, breaking news like we mentioned at the top. But we want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been great to us over the years. Uh, I've been uh, shopping there for quite a while. There's one my, near my place in Hermosa Beach, and they've been uh, helping us out on the podcast. I definitely recommend go to the TraderJoe's.com website and kind of see – anything that's new out there um there's a a, there's something i think keely might like i believe you can have this keely an organic almond beverage chocolate bar so they're they're showing it being dipped in uh, some kind of peanut butter it looks really good uh so uh it's organic and i think that means it's okay for you right i don't know if there's gluten in chocolate i'm not sure
1: no but hold on you said it was a beverage and a bar at the same time what is this thing you are describing
0: well, Keely, the big the big difference is like if you are lactose intolerant, you can't enjoy a glass of milk with your cereal or anything like that. You know, milk chocolate is going to be a problem as well. So what they do is instead of the milk in the milk chocolate, they use the organic almond beverage. So it's basically like a milk substitute in the chocolate bar. So it's kind of cool. So you're you're lactose okay.
1: Yeah, I'm technically, I'm not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to add to your arsenal of things to make fun of me, but yes, uh, I'm kind of lactose free. Milk is bad for me, but chocolate is good. So I'm not a full lactose
0: person. This okay. is probably
1: too much information that anyone wants to know.
0: <laughs> that's, yeah, But you can check it out. So it's got, so instead of making a milk chocolate bar, it's an organic almond beverage bar. So uh, nice. anything, usually chocolate catches my eye when I'm going on the website. So that's the kind of stuff I look at. But thanks again. Uh, to Trader Joe's, we appreciate them and we appreciate when news comes our way, Keely, cause, you know, it's been a little few and far between, I think. For the, <laughs> yes. <laughs> some indeed. of the newsy stuff that's happening. Um, but today we got a tweet from, uh, USC, uh, wide receiver Amon Ra St. Brown, who as of, uh, right now is uh, still on the team. Looks like he really wants to play. Um, he sent the letter, uh, well, he tweeted out the letter signed by all of the USC football players to Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, basically pleading to let the team play. Um, right now in the Pac-12, half the f- schools cannot practice, so there's no way to really have football if half the schools can't practice. Oregon, uh, Oregon State, and of course the four California schools. And in the letter, he details a lot of you know what's going on with you know, hey, there, the other people are playing now. We saw the NFL play. We understand that there was a lot of concern at first. Uh, now we have daily testing, which you can reduce those infections by essentially 100%. Um, you know, he goes into detail about not being able to practice because you can't have groups of more than 12. They can't do anything inside. They can't meet as an entire team. And so he's pleading for the governor to let them play. Uh, I don't know if you... The, Kind of quick summary of everything that was going on there, um, Keely. What what did you make of this, and you know maybe give your thoughts on it, and then you know kind of what you've been finding out uh, since the this letter came out just a little bit earlier today on a Tuesday.
1: Yeah, I mean there's a lot to unpack here, Ryan. First off, I kind of want to give context to what's kind of happening behind the scenes at USC. So. I reported in the War Room on Friday, which is, Ryan, I, I don't think we talk about the War Room enough on the podcast, I guess, but it's it's our little insider scoop that we post on the Parasile, so if there's a deal out there for the site, make sure you pick it up, because I reported that, um, basically, USC's athletic department had conjured up the idea to publicly put, pr- or behind the scenes, put pressure on California governmental entities, so both at the local and state level. So, uh, USC's Uh, athletic department got in touch with people at the Pac-12, other athletic departments in California, SoCal, Stanford, and UCLA, and basically said, hey, now that we have testing, now that we have the ability to test daily and basically reduce infectiousness by 100% with the ability to test that way, we can kind of move forward. We can push on the government entities, uh, to let us play because basically, as we've stated so much here, it's not like the Big Ten where it was the conference itself that made the decision not to play this fall. The Pac-12 was dictated by medical uh, the, the myocarditis issue that they think they kind of have more, a better sense of right now, but also government authorities that won't even let them practice indoors. That's what really forced the Pac-12's hand. And so now that they had a uh, new testing capability around the conference, the California schools basically think now that they can put pressure on California to let them uh do what they want to do which is to play. So, uh I reported in the war room that they kind of had this uh this lobbying arm kind of reengage with California. They had their first meeting on last Wednesday to figure out their strategy. So, I got word that they were doing things behind the scenes. So, then now fast forward to Tuesday and you see Ross St. Brown on behalf of USC's football players making a very public plea to the governor of California, it just shows you that they're really trying to up the ante right now, uh, to put pressure. And so what a source told me was that, uh, instead of just making this, uh, to-do list, uh, one line on their to-do list for the, for the state, they wanted to really amp up the pressure, uh, and make sure that everyone knows that California is being asked to maybe go a little a bo- little bit more lenient on the California universities who they're putting these different standards on compared to maybe the NFL and the MLB where they kind of are, they're, they're, they're guided by one guideline. So they're professionals, they can do their own thing. Whereas the colleges, there's so many overlapping guidelines of college campus guidelines and university safety and can students even be on campus? And so with this new testing capability, the athletic departments are trying to kind of work around all the complications that come with being a university and trying to kind of streamline the process
0: yeah it's uh it's not a streamlined process and obviously (laughs) you're going through a pandemic and you don't really know i mean this is closed this isn't closed there's you know lots of questions you can kind of get into but on the sports side we're seeing you know to see the rams play um and you know open that new stadium without fans and there's a lot of people saying like why can't you at least have some fans in there and uh you know obviously that's not allowed right now uh in the state of California they're doing it in other NFL venues they're not doing it um in Los Angeles so next week we'll see the Chargers play in that same stadium in a SoFi stadium and you know obviously the Dodgers and the Angels and uh the Padres you're seeing baseball being played um but we're not seeing the college sports being played, and that's now that we're seeing, you know, week we have had two weeks of college football, not full weeks, not flawless weeks, but there are weeks we saw power five teams play, we saw power five teams play each other, we saw fans in the stands, um, we saw games get canceled, we saw games get we postponed, um, we've seen outbreaks, we've seen a lot, but it's happening, and maybe you're you could say you could make the argument that. You can't have college football yet, but I don't, it's hard to make the argument that you can't practice. I mean, not only were these other States and schools and programs practicing, but they've actually started to play games. So you can't be that far behind everyone else. It can't be the point where you can't in in a environment where they're going to be tested rapidly every day. Uh, they can't go out on a meeting. They can't, uh, lift weights inside. Um, you know, they, they, they can't have more than 12 people in a group. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I, I feel like if you want to make the argument that they're not ready to play yet, uh, I mean, I'll listen to it, but I'm not listening to the argument that you can't even practice yet. They haven't advanced this at all. Um, and it becomes very political and it's, it, I don't, we don't want to get into that mess, but I think this is a great, uh, I mean, it's a great effort, I think by the, the, the USC football players. Hopefully we'll see some of the, players from other um, programs in California and the Oregon schools, you know, do something similar because I, I do feel like at this point you're showing that's working in other States. It's not like the numbers in California are like terrible. I haven't even really looked lately, but it's not like they're, you know, California is a million times worse than, you know, Georgia or something. Uh So I, I feel like this is, I, I feel like it's something that could get the governor's attention. Keely. I don't know if you think it's going to be effective or not.
1: Yeah, I think it will be effective if you have other California schools get involved with this. And from one source I talked to, the expectations the expectation is that other schools will get involved, whether it's from the athletic department, social media account itself, or from their players. Um, is still kind of unknown, but the hope I believe is that other players entities will kind of put this public pressure on Newsom to do it now. There's a lot of things on Newsom's plate right now. <laughs> California is on fire. There's a lot of things going on. But I think the key here is, I think from Newsom's eyes there were two hurdles. One, these are amateur players. And two, there was no testing capability. And so when the NFL got the ability to work with a private lab and test uh, its players so that no one who walked through those doors, either for the Chargers or the Rams uh, and, and the Northern California teams as well, whoever walked in the doors, they knew they didn't have COVID-19. Whereas with the, the schools, they were testing on a weekly basis. So there was an opportunity for infections to to spread rapidly. Whereas now you jump the hurdle of, Hey they're testing daily they can control that spread you can kind of look past the amateurism issue i think in newsen size and i think that's why usc is pushing so hard um i because the thing is is like after ryan day for ohio state pushed publicly really hard on the Big Ten to play. Um, There was a lot of people on the peristyle and on the message boards who were saying, well, why isn't USC doing anything? Why hasn't USC publicly tried to, quote-unquote, fight for football? And what one source told me was trying to do that prior to testing and and a medical uh, reasoning behind them was was pointless. Basically, they said nothing mattered until the testing partnership with Quidel, the new uh, the testing corp. They said it would have been like shooting a handgun at an a- asteroid. So for for Newsom, it was really down to testing and making sure that the players are safe and there's a way to control infection. So to your point, Ryan, I think that this will have an effect, but whether or not it's a priority is interesting. I don't know if it's going to be a top priority to get college football off the ground when there's other like public crises happening right now
0: yeah no i i get it and uh i think it's gonna the the open letter helps but it's gonna come from the different athletic departments as well Uh, i know that the state of oregon they were pretty optimistic uh talking to uh i forget the doctor's name but he's he's with oregon state and he was pretty uh, he was on a podcast i think with john wilner He's in the uh, Oregon State Athletic Department, but also is a, a medical doctor and felt that really this rapid testing was a, a game changer situation and, and that the government in, in Oregon would allow, um, you know, practices to happen again, uh, knowing that this testing was going on. Really, it was the, the major hurdle there. Uh, the, you know, the government's not talking about myocarditis. That's not That wasn't an issue. That was an issue that really came up on the college level and the Pac-12 level and the Big Ten level. That seems, you know, some of those concerns seems to have, um, subsided a bit. I guess they're not as big of a concern. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of concerns. There's still a lot of things you don't know. Uh, but it's not as big of a concern as it was before. Um, and just the, the rapid testing, knowing that you're not going to be spreading the disease, knowing that you're not going to have a player that was tested on Wednesday, go to practice on Thursday and walk through some meetings on Friday and, and go to the game Saturday. Uh, maybe, you know, having picked up you know got the infection you know soon after being tested or or you didn't know the results of the test and he was around people for a long time uh, it really makes contact tracing uh, a lot easier they don't need the super high-tech stuff that you're seeing in the nfl that everyone's wearing a watch and you know you can tell if, if you know where was keely you know keely's wearing this watch i know she was next to ryan for five minutes at six feet and she was next to a shotgun at Uh, she was three feet away from him for 15 minutes, so that's a concern there. Like, we they're not gonna have that kind of technology, but if you can test every day, um, cheaply and quickly with instant results, essentially, you can really limit how this disease would be spread. And I think that's the biggest concern. Uh, when you're talking about the government, they don't want this, you know, and they don't want any entity, you know, they don't want that huge party to become. A huge problem statewide, right? Like uh, there's 300 people at this party and they all go out and everyone gets sick in there or everyone gets the disease or everyone gets, I mean, the virus, but then they go back home and spread it around other places. And that's what they're trying to avoid. But knowing that these, even though they're amateur athletes, even knowing that they can be tested every day, you're not putting the rest of society in some sort of danger by allowing them to play. And you're actually making it, you know, safer for these guys because they're they know what's going on, they're getting tested every day. Um, so I it makes sense, but they do need the athletic departments to help. I think most of that help, like you were saying, uh, and you reported in the war room, make sure you guys check that out by the way. Um, if you're not a VIP member to USCfootball.com, you really should be. You listen to this podcast, you really love USC football. <laughs> make sure you check it out. But they're doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work. I don't know if this letter, Keely, allows more, you know, will there be a joint statement from USC and UCLA about, Governor, We, you know, we want LA County, or, you know, uh, Mayor Garcetti, we, we need to open things up here in LA County. We can do it safely. Uh, I'm curious if this will spark enough that we'll get some more, I guess, open communication and not maybe behind-the-scenes stuff.
1: Now here's the interesting wrinkle that I've kind of picked up through conversations. Um And you can see this in Amon Ross St. Brown's letter. He mentions the hashtag we are united movement. Um, and so USC has always let its players kind of speak publicly about they want it about what they want to, whether it's football or social justice issues. And you can see Clay Hilton quote tweeted Amon Ra's tweet. And he's, he said that he's always going to support his players speaking up. Um, what I had learned was that around the time that the We Are United movement happened with the Pac-12, so, okay, context. Basically, USC's athletic department and and California athletic departments for Cal and Stanford and all them, they were waiting for what was called higher education guidance. Basically, they were waiting for California to give – hand down guidance as to what they can do at the college level. And they, ha- they were waiting on that for a long time. Whereas the NFL got guidance very quickly around uh, when they asked for it. So when the guidance came down, that's what helped influence this, the decision as to, okay, you can't work out indoors, stuff like that. What was happening is as, as around the time that California was going to release the higher education guidance was right around the time where the Pac-12 Players We Are United movement happened. And it kind of, from what I heard, the movement was a little bit misconstrued where it sounded like the California government entities read that movement as we're scared to play, we don't want to play. And so I was told, you know, kind of, it it was a hunch, it's not 100% sure, but maybe California erred on the side of caution and was a little bit more conservative with their guidelines because of what they heard the players saying, um, rather than maybe being a little bit more lenient on what college players could do. And if you look at what Amon Rao wrote, he said... Though it may have been construed, the Pac-12 players hashtag We Are United movement did not reflect any desire to not play this fall. Instead, we simply wanted to ensure that health and safety would be at the forefront of our conference's planning. The movement helped us to secure some important commitments from the conference, such as guaranteed scholarships for those who opt out of the season. We believe the players in the Pac-12 want to play as soon as possible. So if you look at why he wrote that, it kind of matches up with what kind of the conversations I've been having with a couple people where they thought that California ruled a little bit more not ruled but handed out guidance that was a little bit more conservative based on what the players were saying and based on the amateurism factor that I talked about earlier. So it's interesting I think just having a letter and having the players say this, I think California might have more um shield if you will <laughs> to go out and say okay you can you can do this not only because the players are saying they want to play but also because there's a model in the last two weeks that's showing that college football can be played so it's i think it's twofold but it's interesting that little wrinkle in the letter kind of shows you to some of the things that were happening behind the scenes
0: yeah and that's uh it, the letter did come out quickly and then they merged with uh you know we want to play movement so there was a couple of movements that were happening um but it was sort of put the you know, it was, it was put together quickly. It didn't have representation from all the Pac-12, Pac-12 schools. Uh, USC wasn't represented on the, the early version of it. Um, and I think that could have been a mistake. I mean, I, I think it was a mistake because it, it could have sent the wrong message to the powers that be. And it could have sent a wrong message to the politicians like, Hey man, we got our college students. They, they're being asked to play. They don't want to play. Like we got to stop this. We can't let this happen. Um, and, you know, obviously that wasn't the the message that they wanted uh, out there. So I think if they maybe took a little more time and got everyone on board, you could have come up with something a little more concise, and, and you wouldn't have confused uh, the people in the conference or people in the government that's like, hey, these 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 college athletes, they don't want to play. The NFL is going, we'll let them play, but we're not going to let colleges. Uh, But that, you know, that's water on the bridge at this point. I think this was a well-thought-out letter. Uh, I don't think written by any individual player or anything, but you know, the collective there over at USC, and uh, it would be great if you saw something similar from other places, but if this was, you know, if Gavin Newsom had the time to, to read this, uh, I think there's a lot of really good points uh, made in there. And I think if he asked his medical staff, hey, if they're getting tested every day, is this going to be a drain on our resources? Is this going to be, uh, you know, is there going to be some sort of threat to the general health of, uh, you know, Los Angeles or uh, Palo Alto or Berkeley or whatever, if we let these uh, college athletes go out and, and practice, and I, I think the medical experts would say the answer is no. So um, hopeful that there's a light at the end of the tunnel because at this point, um, like we mentioned, we still haven't heard from the, the Big Ten as of I mean, maybe it's happened while, tweeted while we were talking, uh, but we're assuming they're going to go forward, and it's sort of like. Oh, well, real quick, we'll get into that in a second. Was there anything else on the, the letter, uh, Keely, you want to go on before we kind of talk about the Big 12 a little bit?
1: Um, not off the top of my head. I did ask a source what would be the best case scenario going forward now, now that this letter has been released. And the source said that best case scenario, there might be a chance for the Pac-12 to hurry up and play by the start of mid-November. So that's out there. Not sure if it's doable. That's basically everything has to go right and the government has to, California's government has to respond and then Oregon has to follow suit. So it's interesting, but it was floated out there. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. Um, so John Miller, I think felt that if everything got going like today and this letter, you know, certainly could help that, uh, maybe early November, the Pac-12 could, could get things going. The problem is, you don't have the kind of um, issues in the Big Ten that you do in the Pac-12 as far as local governments not allowing things to happen. That you know, half of the schools in the Pac-12 can't practice, so you can't get ready for the season. They weren't practicing these last month or two, and then you could like start fall camp tomorrow and be ready in three or four weeks. It's just not possible. Like you have to have that whole ramp up. They haven't had a, you know, they haven't lifted a weight inside. They haven't had full team meetings. They haven't done anything like that yet. So there's issues in the Pac-12 that don't exist in the Big Ten. Uh, I, you know, when we hear from the Big Ten, all the sources that, you know, the, the reporters we're talking to and hearing from, it sounds like October 17th is sort of like the date and they want to try to get in a season that would squeeze them in, uh, to the college football playoff. That is the big concern. It's basically, you know, basically pushed By Ohio State, who's, you know, one of the best teams in the country and they would not like to be left out if it's, if at all possible. Uh, it will probably be a shortened season. The issue is, and what I really liked about the early schedule that we got from the Pac-12, and to be fair, the Pac-12 did this right the whole time. Like they made their decision, um, you know, they, they came out with their schedule first and it was very flexible, which is great. Like there's, you know, delayed games and things like that. Um, you know, there was potential, like if you delay this game, you can move it here. You could. There's teams who are playing sort of in pods that they could play against each other and move games that would be easy because they'd have the same bye weeks. All that kind of stuff was built in. And, you know, a couple weeks later, they scrapped it. The Big Ten came out their schedule later, and then six days after that canceled the season. Um, so now they're, you know, reneging on that. They're going back on it, and they're just really scrambling, trying to save some face, and a lot of it's the pressure from – you know, Nebraska's of the world, but the Ohio State's, you know, that's essentially because they have a chance to make the playoff. They wanted to find a way to squeeze this in. And if the presidents vote that way, uh, you know, they'll have some kind of shortened season, but it's like a, you know, nine weeks to to play eight games. And you could, you know, what if Ohio State, you know, Rutgers has an issue and they don't, they miss that game. And like a 7 Ohio State team that like beats, Wisconsin or something in the in the Big Ten championship game, they're eight and Are they going to get picked into the playoff against you know like an eleven and one Alabama team or something like that um, that like lost uh, you know Georgia or something but then won the SEC title? I, it's going to be really weird to compare, but they're doing whatever they can to shoehorn them in their season end to get into the playoff. That is not the concern in the Pac-12. Like just to be clear. Larry Scott, they're, they're not looking at that. They want to have a season, but they're not pushing forward to try to make the playoff. The Big Ten obviously is trying to push forward and, and make the playoff. So um, I'm curious how it goes. I, I, I honestly, Keeley, I like the way the Pac-10 is doing it. Pac-12 is doing it better than the Big Ten, and they're not changing their mind and, and reversing course every you know couple of days. Uh they made their decision, I think it was sound. Now it's time to put pressure on the governments. I think that the, 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 the Pac twelve has to step up and help the players, help the athletic departments, talk to Gavin Newsom, talk to you know the the government in Oregon and allow things to open up so they can at least practice and have uh the option to start a season when they can't. Until they can start practicing, you can't really start the clock on, okay, it's gonna take six weeks to get ready to have a season. Um, that's why, you know, you're probably not gonna see anything until late November. Um, it you know, I I don't see a reason the Pac twelve needs to shoehorn it in like the Big Ten has. I get why they're doing it, but it just it's not a great look uh for me from the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, I mean credit to the PAC-12, everything that they have done seems to be in plan with their original press conference of, hey, we're canceling this because of medical reasons, because we're not sure. And now when you are seeing a change, it's because they've had a change in testing capability. They are more confident in what they know about myocarditis. And so they're moving forward as planned, whereas the Big Ten is like, we feel this way. Ryan Day is declaring civil war. And then uh, the Nebraska president is caught on a hot mic. Like, there's just all this madness. So credit to the Pac-12 in that sense. But yeah, it for me, it seems like the Pac-12 timeline as far as moving it up prior to January is basically to put as much pressure off of the 2021 season, fall season, as far as putting space for the players to recover rather than the Big Ten, which their motivation seems to be, like you said, Participate in some type of championship or whatnot. So it seems like it's not really dictated by that. But for the Pac-12, what are you going to do? Play over Christmas in January? Like, how do you see this working out, Ryan? If it does
0: go that route? Yeah, I think that's what you have to do. Um, I think, well, first of all, you got, obviously you got to get the governor, you know, on board yes, and the, like the LA County, all the different counties, they have different rules and regulations. So you need the governor and you need the different counties to, come to the table and allow you to, to practice and then at that point it's going to depend on a couple of things and one is what does the big 10 do because the the best scenario for the pac 12 is you had a dance partner right like yeah were you uh you know you weren't maybe with the the popular kids but you still had someone to dance with you know and they had the big 10 they were dancing with the big 10 they could have said you know what uh We, we have finals, uh, during prom. What we're going to do is we're going to have our own prom later on. It's going to be great. We're going to, you know, all our friends, we're going to have them come out and we'll have our own prom. Well, now you're, the Pac-12 looks like they could be getting ditched by the Big Ten and they're like, I'm going to finish my final early and then I'm going to run over to the prom. Uh, you have fun at your prom, but I'm going to go to the main prom. And even though I'm going to be a little late and I'm going to be sweaty and, uh, you know, running for my final, but I'm going to, I'm going to have fun at that prom and I'm going to try to, you know, be eligible for prom king. And that's essentially what's happening here. So that's not going to happen in the Big 12. I mean, in the Big 10. Oh, my God. In the Pac-12. There's so many numbers. <laughs> so there's so know. many numbers. Uh So it's not going to happen for the Pac-12. Now they're going to be, if you don't have that dance partner, you can ha- you will have more options. Because if you had the dance partner, you would set it up so there would be a Rose Bowl type of thing. There would be... There's so many bowls that aren't going to be used this year because there's just not enough eligible teams. There would be bowls aligned where you could have the number two teams, you know, play each other from the big 10 and the pac 12 and things like that. If that's not the case, it gives you a little bit more leeway where, okay, what do you want to do? Is it just to get these guys some experience? Uh, there's not going to be an end of the season sort of fun thing. Um, you know, where you could play in a bowl game against the big, the big 10. So do you just do the five division games and then a championship and maybe like some sort of like the number two from each division play each other? Are you introduce a uh, potential out of, uh, you know, out of conference game for the end of the season? That's like a de facto bowl game that, um, you know, USC could play Notre Dame again or something like who knows? I don't know. could you, you could get creative, but if you don't have that big 10, dance partner you know it might put some pressure on the pac-12 to why are you even bothering and i don't get that i think you need to play if you can play you can play and it's not just because well you don't have this to play for yeah you're not gonna have those kind of things to play for but i think you're going to give these athletes a real opportunity to show their stuff you help if you can get it done by march if you can do you know it maybe it's done in february who knows um You get the, you know, the the six games or whatever you want to get in. That gives those guys that were seniors an opportunity to show NFL draft scouts what they can do. Uh, it gives, you know, the younger guys more experience. There's all those freshmen that are going to be on the team that are basically going to come in all the 2020 guys, anyone that plays their eligibility doesn't count anyway. It would at least give them a little leg up on the 2021 guys coming in because otherwise they would just be mushed together in the same class. They would at least feel like they're a different class because they got some experience. Uh, under their belt. Um, I think there's a lot of good reasons to play, Keeley, uh, if they can do it safely. You know, the issue is, uh, you're going to, they're going to face more questions. for The Pac-12 is going to not look good once the Big Ten announcement comes out for a couple of reasons. One, you're the only Power Five that isn't playing. I think they have legitimate reasons, but, you know, that on the surface, they're the only Power Five that isn't playing. Then, why are you bothering if you're going to play late and you're going to be playing by yourself? You know, maybe the, it's the mountain West, you know, you can, you can play games against the mountain West afterwards. It's something, I don't know. I mean, because they're going to be out here on the West coast and if they can start, um, you know, I think there's going to be some options there, but the options aren't going to be as slick or as cool. If it's not partnered with the big 10 and we don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off or not. We don't know if it's going to work and get them into the college football playoff. And maybe the big 10 does delay and they start and, and November now and and the Pac-12 gets their stuff together and they start November and it, it's a nice, you know, big 10 Pac-12 season with the bowl games and things like that. I think that's the best case scenario. It's just, there's so much pressure now for the big 10 to play right now. I'm just not sure that that is going to happen.
1: Wow. That's a lot to impact there, right? But yeah, I think, Sorry, yeah. I, no, 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 it, it, it was good. Just, I kept thinking of, of responses and then you kept going, but I think the main thing first off is, if you're an athletic department in the Pac-12, you have no choice but to try and play, right? Just from a revenue standpoint, you need to put a product out there to even have some sort of keeping things afloat, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you want to keep the lights on, right? Like yeah. you, you want to keep the lights on. It's not like, well, what are you playing for? It's really like, we need to be able to play. And you'd have... You know, people are asking for Pac-12 after dark. You know, they, they would love it if, uh, in February, you know, after the Super Bowl, they could catch, uh, a USC Oregon game or something like something like that. I think people would, would watch, uh, you know, more college football is better and you might get like the Mountain West might not be able to start until like March. So in a situation like that, it would be interesting. You could have college football from, you know, September through May or so, it might be a huge college football season, um, and you know people will pay attention to to what's going on. But I I think it gives some of these guys a, a real opportunity to show their skills. You know, we've talked about a bunch. I mean, did you know who Joe Burrow was before he was the number one pick in the draft and and won the championship at LSU? Like he needed that senior season. He needed those last games. I'm not saying you're going to get a Joe Burrow coming out of uh, USC or Oregon or Washington or anything like that, but there's going to be guys that might not get drafted unless they get that opportunity to show the scouts and then go right into, you know, roll into the combine and and, and all that. And I think that, you know, you get invites to the combine by playing. So I, I feel like they have to do it. I think there's going to be so much pressure. If they're the only Power 5 team that doesn't play at all, I, I don't think you'll get dinged as much by playing late at the end of the day. But if you don't play at all, then yes, I think that's going to be a, well, why are they even in the Power 5? It, it really could be. That would be a huge problem I think for Larry Scott in the Pac-12.
1: Yeah, and I don't and ha- so far I haven't gotten the sense that they won't play at all. I I did, yeah. I, I haven't fully gotten that sense yet, but the interesting thing is that we've talked about so much about the Pac-12's unity. It will be interesting to see if that continues once if when the Big 10 says that they're actually going to play. Do you see some resentment come out of the Pac-12 or does everyone understand like where they're at? In the Pac-12 and why they're, they did what they did. You know, like, do you still stick together when you're the only one sticking out? You know, I, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, and as far as while we were recording, uh, Chase Garbers, the Cal quarterback tweeted out, uh, let us play. So I think we're starting to see a little bit of, of the messaging trickle out.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Chase Garbers, man, my uh, MVP from my <laughs> Yeah. NBA. Your guy. He's my dude. On, it, we talk about him on the podcast with champions a lot. So yeah. With, if you don't know Chase Garbers, he's a Cal quarterback. Uh, basically when he played, Cal won. When he didn't play, they lost. So kind of, <laughs> you would see like Devin Monster, the former UCLA quarterback go in there and just be awful. When, when Garbers played, they, they won. Um, and he, he got hurt against USC or didn't play at all against USC? He I got forgot. hurt. He got hurt early in yeah. the game, I think. Yeah. 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 And they, they lost that game. Cal did. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, we're waiting for that Big Ten anou- announcement. Uh, we're anticipating it's going to be a, a yes vote to play and probably mid-October. But for the Pac-12, it'd be much better if they're like, you know what, we're going to play. We just don't think it's feasible to get it done early. We're not going to like rush this to get into the playoff. We're going to have a, a late fall season that that goes into, you know, winter or whatever. And, um, that's what we're going to do. And then the Pac-12 could, you know, then they would have a goal and they'd be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to shoot for that same time and, Let's plan a postseason together, which that hasn't happened. And it's unfortunate that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 haven't worked closer together. It's unfortunate that all the Power Five conferences didn't work closer together. But uh, that's, you know, that's part of the college football power vacuum that we have. There just isn't uh, that kind of structure where there's a, a clear leader. There's no Roger Goodell. Um, you got these little fiefdoms and they have a lot of power. Each conference has a lot of power and they're really not willing to uh share that with anyone else. So they're gonna do what's best for them, not what's best for college football as a whole. And in this case, the Pac-12 would you know what's best for the Pac-12 would be the Big Ten weights and plays with the Pac-12. The Big Ten, they'd much rather get into the playoff and uh get Ohio State in the playoff if they possibly can. So that's that's where it looks like it's leading right now.
1: You know, another interesting wrinkle, Ryan, that we haven't even mentioned, just because it happened last week after our podcast, and there's other breaking news. But Elijah Vera Tucker, USC's basically best offensive lineman, declared that he was opting out and, and going into or going to enter the enter the 2021 NFL Draft. Has he hired an agent yet? Like, could he possibly return or want to return, even if uh if if he can? Come back if there's a season. If there's more optimism, it's interesting. And and now, what does USC's offensive line look like if there actually is a season? There's so many wrinkles of, <laughs> in all of this. But just just a tad little uh, question mark is like, did ABT say, say declare to opt out a little too early? But who knows? I mean, he he is a, a draft prospect, so he probably made the right decision overall. But it's an interesting wrinkle.
0: Yeah, I haven't heard if he hired an agent yet. My guess would be though he wouldn't return. I know. Ohio State's lost some players even recently. as I think yesterday or maybe today, um, and you know, guys who are waiting and they're like, you know what? I just what's best for me is just to move on. Mm-hmm. If the Big Ten would have made better decisions early on, I get it in the Pac-12. Um, and you know, I, I don't know. I think the wrinkle here is, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker. It's a big loss because if USC he ends up playing games, he was like the savior at left tackle, even though he was moving from, you know, a spot he played well, left guard to left tackle. So you're basically going to have a new left guard and a new left tackle. Well, now it's kind of like you lost two positions. let a blind now, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's no, there was no, you know, plan to replace uh, Austin Jackson at left tackle. And no. it was sort of like a, a desperation thing to move, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker over there. So, yeah, I, it's going to be a real problem. And it's not like the USC's recruited the offensive line. Well, they've recruited bodies, but there's not like Austin Jackson was a five star dude. There's no one like that that's come into the program the last couple of years. So it's a, that's a big, big, uh, concern for USC if they do get out to play. Yeah. And, and you know, and, but I, the wrinkle, we can get back to that too. If you want to talk more about EVT, but, sure. um, what do you think that, you know, if the, if you had to guess the next USC player to opt out, and enter the NFL draft. Who would that have been?
1: Almond Ross and Brown. I right. mean, he, and, and this is what's been really interesting to me. is because I heard very early on that Almond Ross Brown was eyeing opting out from a very early standpoint, uh, from an early point in this whole, is there going to be a season? Is there not going to be a season? Oh, the season's canceled, et cetera. And so it kept, it kept. His name kept coming up, and then so you see the J2 Fellas opt out, you see the AVTs opt out, and then you see Amon Ross St. Brownby, the first player to come out and, and address this letter to Gavin Newsom. It's like, okay, so he clearly is attached, but then the rumor mill just keeps going, and it makes the most sense because he it trains like an NFL athlete already because of his dad and the whole weightlifting uh, thing, and, you know. So it's it's just a you're right. This is a very interesting wrinkle that Almond Ross St. Brown is the one who released this initially.
0: Yeah, it's uh <laughs> I I mean it's college football, it's USC football, there's always something interesting going on. We never know what to expect. And this is certainly one of those things where like if I had to pick any player that wouldn't have uh, you know, been the, the voice of, Hey, we want to play. It, it was certainly been, I'm on Ross St. Brown, you know, like I was like, he's not going to be the one that's going to put himself out there. And how does it look if he opts out for, um, you know, for the, for the NFL, but he's like the face of going forward is, as, as far as like they wanted to play again. So I don't know. I, my guess would be, he's not going to be opting out anytime soon, but, um, you know, if he can play later in the, and he gets to play six games or something, maybe he just wants to stick around and play those and then go to the NFL. So I don't know, but that's that was really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great observation by you. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see what happens, especially because I can understand why the uncertainty must be so frustrating. You know, you're trying to figure out, okay, have I played my last college down? Should I go to the NFL? When is the draft going to be? Is it going to? Are we going to be the only conference that will be playing and miss out on the draft? Like, there's so many wrinkles and, and just issues involved with being a Pack 12 football player right now that I can only imagine what Almond Ross St. Brown is going through.
0: Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> well, you knew things were going to get heated up once <laughs> players started watching college football yeah. on yep. television. Like, yeah, we mentioned that early on. Like that. That's what's going to be the big deal here. It's like you sit down on your couch. You're not going to practice. You're not, you know, oh, I got a, a game tonight, but I can watch the early games. Like, no, you have nothing to do. You might have a Zoom meeting with your position coach or something. And you're sitting on the couch watching uh, Notre Dame, a yep. team you were going to play this year, play Duke at home. So – yeah, that's going to have a, a profound impact on these college athletes. And I, you knew that was going to happen. So now that it's happening, this weekend will be a much bigger weekend. And I think when the SEC starts too, uh, yeah. it'll be even bigger. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's, uh, <sighs> yeah, you knew that it was going to be frustrating. And, and that was a, a well thought out letter that kind of showed the frustration that he and the rest of the players have.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm on raw. Amon St. Brown and Keenan Slovis and Clay Hilton did like a roundtable with Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart, um for like Fox Sports last week. And Amon Ross St. Brown said as much. He And even that was just the week one games, which were a little weird. But he was like, it's so weird. This is the first time in my life I'm not playing football, but I'm watching it. And he was like, it's, I can only imagine how odd it must feel for them. I mean, for me, watching Notre Dame and BYU, or not BYU, sorry, Duke, I was like, this – feels like a bye week like i never am just sitting watching football unless it's a bye week so i can only imagine how weird it must have been for them who they train for this they love it and here they are
0: yeah and here they are watching on the couch um all right well why don't we we got some questions why don't we take a quick break we'll come back and uh answer some questions from uh the listeners back in a minute As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Keely, looks like we got a pretty full uh, inbox today. What do, uh, what do you got?
1: So first off, we have an email from Justin in downtown LA who says, Hey guys, I hope all is well and you haven't inhaled more smoke than you did in your college days. Smiley face. Nice. Uh, my question is this. My son plays high school football, and there are several members of his team that are sports, quote-unquote, holdbacks, i.e., they took a year off between eighth and ninth grade in order to get a year older and focus on training. Some of these kids look like grown men with full beards. What percentage of the recruits that you guys cover graduate at age 19 or even higher? Thanks, Justin, in downtown L.A.
0: So, I mean, there's been some guys, for sure. Uh, you know, JT Daniels was probably the most uh, – Famous one or whatever you want to say as far as, like, well-known. Um, there's also guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, who was 17 years old, in, like, November of his freshman year, you know. Um, so it's – I you see it sometimes. Uh, I think it's usually specific players. It's not like – I don't think this is some widespread that this happens to everybody. Um, but there's certain situations where they want to – you know, a kid might – yeah, you know, be mature a little later. They want to give him another opportunity to to kind of grow and catch up to his classmates or get a little ahead, whatever it is. Um, but I would say it's not. I mean, it's hard to put a percentage on it, but I would say it's a smaller percentage than something that's like you know widely done all over the place. Now, what do you what do you think, Keely?
1: Yeah, I don't know the specifics really, just because recruiting is not. I don't dip into that world as much as maybe. Of course, it's not as much as Gerard or, or Chris Trevino or Shotgun, but. It's funny, Julian Simon, USC's commit, uh, I think, I think it was Greg B- Biggins put out a story this week and someone in the comments was like, is that guy 30 years old? Like the recruits these days just look so old and like so just developed. And I think it has to do with like the seven on sevens and just the private trainers that recruits are now really investing in. And that's why you see the like Justin Flows of the world who people called like baby man because he just looked so big. So it's just interesting how it's evolving as far as focusing on training and whatnot.
0: Yeah, and they're getting a lot more opportunities to showcase their skills in offseason events, uh, especially skilled players. There's so many I mean, there's seven on seven stuff going on year round. It gives quarterbacks a, a great opportunity to throw the football to a wide range of receivers. We see, you know, receivers playing defensive back and move it around and just getting all kinds of opportunities and um you know, there's even more lineman camps and stuff now. So I think some of it is just you are getting a lot more opportunities to play than, than you did in the past. It's not just, you know, what you're doing with your high school team. I mean, you have these club teams, these traveling teams, and they're doing stuff they were before the COVID stuff, but they're doing stuff year round. I mean, like the week before signing day, there's like a seven-on-seven event that would happen. And you're like, wait, what? Like it's signing day tomorrow. It's like, oh no, these are the kids for next year. They're, all, you know, they're playing and yeah, uh, it's. It's nuts that, you know, there's not like this downtime as far as recruiting goes, except, you know, unless it's forced by a global pandemic, which that's what happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we have a question from John who said, uh, question for Ryan. It looks like the only real hurdle to USC playing this year is an okay from LA County public health officials. I work with the county government on various business matters and I know from experience that such an approval won't happen soon unless USC is working at the executive levels with a sense of urgency. Do you know if USC senior leadership is lobbying the county hard to loosen the red t- tape, i.e. is President Folt in weekly contact with Supervisor Mark Ridley-Thomas about this or is USC simply going through the standard process with mid-level employees in the health department? If it's the latter, then we know that USC leadership is not serious about po- football. Uh, thanks you. Thank you, John.
0: And uh, Keely, you probably can answer this better than than anyone. But I, I don't think it's just LA County. I think you like the the letter that went out today. It went out to Gavin Newsom. I mean, they need this at the state level. And I think if if you get approval at the state level, it will open up things at the different counties. I, I have a hard time saying if Gavin Newsom's like, you know what, we want the colleges and. California to be able to do this and this if they have the rapid testing they can practice they can lift weights inside they can have full team meetings blah 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 whatever they say I have a hard time seeing it like mayor Garcetti going no 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 we're not gonna let that happen here like i I, I think you're going to the top um but I, you know what do you think where where are the the USC brass where are they trying to attack this
1: so the interesting thing is I think the hardest part so right now you're dealing with LA county santa clara county in the state of california i think the hardest part will be los angeles county if you look at what usc's uh doctor said the university doctor said i think last week all of Los Angeles County is having declining COVID-19 rates except for University Park, which is USC's campus. So that's such a huge hurdle for them because basically like in their write up, you could tell they were a little frustrated by students off campus who are partying and whatnot. And so I think it will be hard to give the okay if you're not seeing decline, declining numbers in that geographical area where USC is located. So, uh, I know that USC um, is partnering with UCLA to write uh, joint letters to the county and to lobby on the on that front. I don't know how aggressively they're doing that. Um, that's something I can look into more. But I know that they're trying to attack LA County the hardest that they can, um, and that the state of California is also a hurdle. I think Santa Clara is the least. I think they're a little bit more lenient than what we've seen from other places. So uh, LA County is going to be a hurdle for sure, and. I don't know what supersedes, like, as far as importance. So if if Gavin Newsom says, everyone go play football right now, will L.A. County be like, nope, we're still putting this in place and that will stand? I don't know. So that's question marks and a good question from John that I think we still need to dig into.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Um, Keaton Slovis tweeted at Gavin Newsom, too. Uh, but he tweeted at just at Gavin Newsom. Like, if you start a tweet with an at, yeah. Then- only people that you follow and the person you're adding follow would see the tweet. So, um, but yeah, his last line of the tweet is, you are the only thing holding us back. Please let us play. So it was a little more accusatory, I think, from him than what was up for Mama and Rossi Brown.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good find by you. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think. If Newsom says, then maybe it'll go that way. We'll see. LA County is interesting at the government level, so
0: no, it it definitely is. But it's like you know, the governor is still the governor. I would think that that you know that would pull some weight there. But who knows? Maybe we got a battle. Wouldn't that be funny if like the governor was like, "We're gonna let him play." And the county is like, no, we can't let them play. We don't watch college football. We're not going to look at the rest of the country. They can't possibly be playing college football anywhere else. There's, we're not going to let this happen. You know, could you see something like that happening? That'd be crazy.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think then you have to pull the, well, what are the Rams and Chargers doing argument and then kind of really force that, that issue.
0: But the fact that the, the, the Rams and Chargers are doing it like right down the street, like there's no way you can't let that. But I mean, who knows? I've you said no one before.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can always argue amateurism and I think that's the biggest, uh, weapon in their arsenal as far as like why they're being really strict for colleges. But again, it's, it's just interesting times. You never know. I don't want to say anything for certain because this year has proven that you can't rest on anything for certain.
0: <laughs> Nothing certain.
1: Mm-hmm. I believe we have one final question, and it's from Troy Trojan, who said, Hello, Ryan. I was watching the Monday night games, trying to figure out, uh, trying to forget the current situation of the UFC program, but its ugliest aspect, the coaching situation, again reared its ugly head. I did some research, and, uh, and unbelievably, the 2016 had, wait for it, 14 current players on active rosters across the league. Of those five, our starters. Two more additional were cut because of major surgery, and one place on a practice squad. Three more will be draft eligible this year, and will be in camp with some team. That's 19 NFL players in all. With that, they suffered one of the worst losses in school history, nearly got blown out in their bowl game, lost two Pac-12 games, and didn't win the conference. 2016 was a coaching abomination. Question, does the larger USC community really f- fully comprehend, those who don't follow football, how much of an albatross this man on on the universe? This man, meaning Clay Hilton, is on the university and how much of a joke he is within the football community, NFL, and college nationwide. So Troy Trojan not mentioning words there in his email.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can't look at the 2016 rec- – so he's not talking about the recruiting class. He's just talking about the –
1: The roster, yes.
0: The roster from 2016, yeah. Uh, no, there's a lot of dudes there. And, and, you know, if you look at this list, a lot of the guys that came in, like Sark guys, uh, I mean – Juju Smith Schuster was a five-star. Dory Jackson uh, was a five-star. You know, Iman Marshall was a five-star. Uh, you know, there's guys that were, you know, absolute studs that they were recruiting at the at the highest levels. You know, Sam Darnold was a four-star. You know, Ronald Jones was a big recruit. Porter Gustin, a huge recruit. Uh Jimadoga was a five-star. You know, Zach Banner was a five-star. Rasheem Green was like a four or five-star. Uh Tyler Vaughns was a five-star. It's, uh, you know, well, he's, he's going to be in camp in 2021. So he's talking about, yeah, those are guys that were on that 2016 team. Um, you know, Cameron Smith was a big recruit. You know, there's some guys like Deontay Burnett was a, uh, Washington state commit until the last minute and blue shirted, uh, to USC. Um, and absolutely, you know, they developed him well. He was, he was great. Yichun and was like a three star guy that was like a safety. They moved a the linebacker. There's some developmental guys here, but a lot of these dudes, uh, Marvel Tell was a, you know, big recruit, you go down this list that the active roster people, if you say stars don't matter, don't look at that list because basically anyone that was like a highly recruited guy is playing in the NFL now, you know, or, and and it's, it's pretty clear of what, you know, when you bring in those kind of guys, the problem is the 2020, uh, recruiting class, you don't see any guys that that had that kind of star power coming out of high school. That's going to be an issue, uh, going forward. But yeah, the, you look up and down that list, you're not, like, shocked, like, oh, my God, I can't believe Rasheem Green is in the league. Like, no, dude, he was, like, the best defensive lineman in California when USC got him, or you know, or Dory Jackson, you know, or Juju Smith. And yeah, it's uh – I'm not shocked, Keely, looking up and down that list.
1: No, I mean, you said it will become an issue. If you look at the ABT situation and USC's situation on its offensive line – It is an issue. They have a lot of offensive linemen, but they don't have anyone to replace three open spots. And so this is what happens when, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, but this is what happens when you miss out on just years, like multiple recruiting cycles of top offensive linemen, a lot of whom were based in California. This is what happens when now you're staring down three open positions and you're not really sure who's going to step up for that. So it's, recruiting is important. <laughs> that's, that's the main message.
0: Yeah, and if you remember the year that Dory Jackson and Juju Smith Schuster signed, it was Sark year. Damien Mama was in that class too, mm-hmm. you know? So if you bring in, if you had a Damien Mama in the class of 2020, okay, maybe he's gonna start for you at left guard. Maybe he's gonna start for you. Like, basically there are a bunch of projects that, you know, are gonna take a couple years to develop. You needed the, the Austin Jackson to walk in and be able to play right away, and and they missed on all those guys. They missed on all the Austin Jacksons for the last couple of years, and they went to Oregon most likely. Um, that's a big deal, and it's and you're right. It's you probably don't have to wait too long for you know, if they get a pac gets a football season, you're not going to have to wait too long for the 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 failings of the 2020 recruiting class to rear its ugly head because they're going to be scrambling uh to try to fill out. The, uh, offensive line, they already were and they had better pieces and now you don't, um, with ABT, you know, going, uh, going to the league. So, uh, I get it, Troy Trojan. I mean, I think ESPN, we put a story up that, and we reported stuff like this in the war room too, with the COVID stuff, with the horrible contract that Lin Swan, uh, gave to Clay Helton, the, the new athletic department, their hands are pretty much tied and unless it's some, Huge disaster of a season. There's really not a way you can make a move, uh, at, at the head coaching spot. And, you know, that's, it's not having the opportunity to play Notre Dame or play Alabama. That would have been something that, you know, you could say, Oh, look, USC got crushed by this team or that team or they beat them, you know, and then like that's a, that's a feather in Clayon's cap, but you would have, Got more data if you were able to play those games. Now you're not going to be able to. So what are you going to really learn out of the 2020 season? Probably not that much, right? Um, I mean, anything short of winning it is going to be a problem. I think you know USC will be the favorite along with Oregon. Um, You know, if they go three and three or whatever, like I don't think that's enough to to make some sort of change it's because it's just going to be so expensive to do so so I, I get your frustration Troy Jordan you are certainly not alone but all the circumstances and and really bad business decisions that were made a couple years back are kind of putting you in this position and yes it's inexcusable that USC had those kind of seasons it's inexcusable that USC went 5-7 and seven with the roster they had with a bunch of NFL guys on it like that's that should not happen. Like me and Keely could coach that team and not, and win more than five games. So that's, that's a problem. Um, so I get what you're saying, Troy Trojan, but uh, I, unfortunately, I don't think there's anything, uh, that can be done about it. I think you want USC to do well. I mean, you, I think you just got to hope that they run the table and have a great 2020, get a better 2021 recruiting class and, and go forward and, and, and challenge. You know, the Oregon's of the world in the Pac-12 uh, going forward because right now Oregon's really dominating on the recruiting front. And uh, USC's done well. They've done a lot better than last year. But Oregon is like, you know, USC came out of the gates pretty strong. Oregon is like piling it on, like their best recruited class ever. And that's not a good thing when a bunch of those guys are people that uh, USC was interested in.
1: Yeah, there's only so much you can do when your record does not reflect a record that USC should have. It just doesn't help you on the recruiting trail and Oregon's kind of cleaning up after USC in that sense. So it's kind of just this problem that snowballs on itself. So like when you have a bad recruiting class, maybe you don't play as well. You don't have open, you don't have spots to fill with high level recruits and then you lose games. You know, it's just a, a snowball effect that USC really needs to try and pump the brakes on.
0: Yeah. And it, you know, it's like, we make decisions in our life every day. Everything you do, I mean, I'm making a decision on which words I'm going to say next, and Keely's going to decide, you know, what she's, you know, good out for dinner. Like we're making decisions all the time, and a lot of them are inconsequential. But there's a lot of ones that are major, and sometimes, you know, every bad decision, you don't necessarily know it's a bad decision. You might never know it's a bad decision. Uh, you might just miss an opportunity that you 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 know you wore something out. Uh, you wore a t-shirt and and jeans to a a job interview and there was some guy that was going to hire you and he didn't even like interview you because he saw what you were wearing or whatever it is. Like there's things that you make choices, uh, and sometimes you don't know right away, uh, the results or or what's going to happen. And you know, you might, you have your check engine light on your car. Like, okay, as soon as it comes on, you don't go to the, the mechanic. It's not necessarily like a life or death decision. Uh, but if you put it off for a long enough time, if you're making a bad decision. Now, maybe nothing happens and you're fine. But or maybe the car seizes up on the freeway, you know, and, and you're in you're in trouble. Like you don't know when it's going to when those bad decisions are going to be you know brought to light. And I think the ironic thing, so many bad decisions have been made by USC administration like over the years. Like you know, Pat Hayden made so many bad ones. Lin Swan basically didn't make any, so he was trying to avoid bad decisions by not making any decisions. But the one he did make, um, along with, I think, Max Nikias, the president, was a big part of this too. It didn't take long. Like, you knew this was a bad decision within, what, seven, eight months? Because early in the year of 2018, he gives Clay Helton the extension, and the extension was that we're just learning about now that it was fully guaranteed, that it was a 40% uh, increase, that it was five years added on. And it just was baffling that within, you know, what, eight months later, USC went five and seven, and people are calling for a claim to be fired. And Lynn Swan, who wouldn't talk to the media anyway, is sitting on his hands knowing I just gave this guy five years fully guaranteed and Less than a year later, everyone has not only wants him fired, but is assuming he's going to be fired. Um, I mean, th- for th- that major of a decision to be proven to, as poor as it was that quickly is just kind of crazy. Like, usually that that, that could – that that's a decision, like, three years later, you're like, you're paying for it. Like, USC's paying for it two years later, but you knew you were paying for it, like, eight months later.
1: Yeah, <laughs> It's a lot there. I'm sorry. That's a lot. Yeah. No, I mean, I think anyone who closely paid attention to USC games knew that you probably shouldn't hand a guarantee like that to Clay Elton, but I guess Lynn Swan wasn't. I don't know. You, you tossed me a a dangerous fastball, right? And I don't know if I should swing or not. I I, I, I mean, you
0: don't have to, I mean, you don't have to agree. That's my own personal opinion. No, I
1: mean, I completely agree. It's just, uh, it's just, it's in the past. I mean, USC it is just in, in a pickle in that sense.
0: Yeah. And the pickle and that for, for Troy Trojan, the pickle is, Hey, go back in time and tell Lynn Swan, Hey, don't sign that. Cause that's going to, that's really going to limit what USC can do going forward. So, so now it's sort of, it gives Clay Helton that sort of confidence. And we've talked about this before, you know, maybe after signing that extension, he didn't feel any pressure anymore. Cause like I'm, I'm here for five years. They can't fire me. I'm going to keep my staff together, even though you should make changes and they didn't. And maybe that extension also hurt the team indirectly because it gave Clay Helton confidence that he wasn't going to make changes to the staff that he ended up making major changes in the following two years. You know, half the staff got turned over two years in a row. He didn't make any changes after, uh, getting blown up by Notre Dame and, 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 you know, getting smashed by Ohio State. Because the team won the Pac-12 championship game. And you look at it that way, you say, like, well, we won the championship game. I don't need to make changes to the staff. If he didn't get that extension, he's probably making changes to the staff. So that, that extension by Swan hurt USC in a lot of different ways. And, and I, I don't ever want to get personal with Clay Helton because, and people hate it when we say this, he's one of the nicest guys around. He is. We yeah. like Clay Helton. We would mm-hmm. like Clay Helton to be a successful coach, but we're not going to make excuses and say, yeah, there was no way they could have won more than five games in, in 2000, <laughs> uh, you know, what was it, 2018? 18, yeah. 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 No, you're not going to say that because they should have won a lot more than that. That's on him. That was, you know, we're going to be honest and say that was, you know, we could be critical of Clay Hilton in that situation, but we're not going to be personal about it. Like some of the, you know, our emails and yeah. stuff are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are legitimate criticisms against Clay Helton, but when you get personal, it just—it's—it's it's unbecoming. So I, I always, we always advocate just be, just be classy, USC. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. Okay. So Keely, did Big Twelve, a Big Ten, announce anything?
1: I, I don't think so. I'm I mean, I'm paying attention anything, to yeah. what you said, but I haven't heard anything.
0: Yeah. Uh. Unfortunately, uh. We. You mentioned all those players. Zach Banner was one of them and, uh, he was in playing in Monday Night Football last night for the Steelers. Actually got to start. I think he was starting at right guard. I mean, right tackle, I believe. Right
1: tackle, yes.
0: Yeah, uh, but and went down with an injury. I don't remember what or know what the injury is, but it's, uh, really unfortunate. It was nice to see him work his way up there and, and, you know, get a start on Monday Night Football. Crazy.
1: It was a knee injury and it was, it was, awful to see. I mean, I was eating dinner while watching the game and I look up and they have a shot of Zach Banner crying. And my first reaction was the last time I saw him crying was at the Rose Bowl win. And I was like, what's happening? And so then it it showed that he went down awkwardly on that knee. I think he just put on Twitter that he's going to have knee surgery. So I think he's out for the year, which is awful because Monday night was his first start uh he he had his first start for the Steelers in two thousand nineteen against Cincinnati towards the end of the season, but this was his first start on Monday with a position to call his own so it was he worked really hard in the off season based on the the Steelers tweets that I was seeing last night, and just people felt so awful just because he put so much hard work into uh getting that starting job and then now it was cut really short so our hearts yeah. go out to to Zach Banner in that uh sense
0: for sure um Speedy recovery, Zach. He's always one of the cooler dudes you'd want to cover, right? You know, I mean, there's...
1: Hilarious. So boisterous. Was,
0: yeah. Like for as, as big as he was, like just, there was, his personality was bigger, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, which is, that's not easy to do. No. Alright. Well, I think we should, we've talked enough. i yeah. enough. <laughs> no. Uh,
1: good stuff, Ryan.
0: Yeah. Let's wrap it up. Uh, that is Keely Yore. I am Ryan Abraham. We really appreciate you listening to our little show, the Peristyle Podcast. This would be, and hopefully will be, our 13th season covering uh, the Trojans here on the podcast. So it started back in 2008, if you can believe that. Um, but thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple.